Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 16, the one about Spotify music for podcasts, SEO updates by TechCrunch and The Martian. Let's get on with the show. Welcome along to yet another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio Visio podcast series. Here is Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much for this introduction. What a pleasure it is to spend more time with the man who's also on the mission to keep marketing simple. You are the voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the host of the Roger Log video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you, Pascal. Thank you so much. So I think we should go straight into the news. What do you think? Let's do this. And we begin with YouTube, who has expanded its pandemic misinformation policies, Roger, to officially ban videos that spread conspiracy theories and lies about COVID-19 vaccines. And Pokemon is inviting fans to discover the UK locations that inspired the landscapes in its games through a video series and a downloadable guide. And wait for it, all from a customised touring bus. Right, well, listen, the Marketing Academy Foundation we mentioned a few episodes ago have finally raised £18,000 from the remaking of classic ads such as Heineken, Oxo and Cadbury from marketers, marketers, forgive me, stuck at home. And the 100 most valuable brands in China have grown by 12% in value this year, which I thought was quite surprising given the pandemic, and are worth $996 billion. That's £768 billion. Bit of content marketing news for you, Roger. Budweiser has teamed up with singer-songwriter Alsi on the documentary Poetry and Merchandise to engage customers tired possibly of pandemic-led advertising who are looking for positive and entertaining content. And according to a recent service by NordPass in the US and the UK, 66 percent of respondents said they have too many accounts to manage and 41 percent say they can't remember which password belongs to each account mm. cannabis marketing pioneer olivia mannix launches another industry first called silo cybrand it is a marketing and pr agency focused on psychedelic medicines which would be worth nearly seven billion dollars by 2027 and finally, a new service from GoDaddy makes it easier to start your business successfully from the ground up. Called Websites and Marketing, it's designed to help even complete web novices grow their businesses with intuitive digital tools. Right. Another very interesting set of news. I'm glad you brought back you know, the, the Marketing Academy Foundation because we mentioned them a few episodes ago. I think yep. it was probably in and around July. They launched you know, this kind of uh, charity event where marketers stuck at home had to recreate some of those iconic adverts just using what they had at hand. And £18,000 to help you know, young people start a career in marketing. I think that's fantastic. I mean, £18,000 raised is is fabulous, isn't it, for the charity? But I, I just love the idea, even the first time we spoke about it, you know, all those iconic adverts and just re recreating them. It's, it's just a fun exercise. Love it. And what about this psychedelic medicines thing? I, I, I was really quite surprised about that. I mean, this person set up an agency 
to market cannabis. Now, in, the, in there are a very few number of states in the United States where cannabis isn't illegal. And I guess this person became extremely successful mm. um, helping people to market effectively a drug. Uh, and again, I believe that there are certain parts of the United States where certain psychedelic medicines, i.e. magic mushrooms, aren't illegal and it just goes to show there's there's if there's a need there's a product <laughs> but certainly in terms of the the full article when i read it he was mentioning obviously that there are some serious research being done about the properties of some of those products where you can extract it on just what you need to help people with different um, you know conditions and and ailments but i think it's back to this idea of being a uh, have a foresight so you know she's called the pioneer is because you know she's thinking well in seven years time i'll be glad i launched this pr marketing agency and, and if you have some insight into that particular industry or sector uh, i remember you know just at a very very smaller level than hers i missed the boat all those years ago when it came with regard to seo Mm, you know, absolutely. I, I just didn't sit or I was too busy actually uh, doing my, my bit as a trainer. And there was a demand in the marketplace for reliable, sensible and ethical, you know, SEO agencies. Mm. And I just missed it. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. And, and this GoDaddy service, Pascal, uh, making it easier to start your business successfully. Love the name. I mean, you know what I, I'm like about keeping things simple. So it's called Websites Plus Marketing. <laughs> but I, I actually, you know, digging into it a little bit deeper, felt that it was a little bit of a misnomer. Because what they're really saying is they're going to help you build a website from scratch. It and that's not the same as starting a business from scratch. You know, to start a business from scratch, you've got to identify a customer. You've got to create a product, build a service, price it, and then start communicating it. Whereas this implies that it's going to help you with all of that. It's really just once you've done all that separately, then it'll help you build a website around it. Yeah, I'm not surprised that sometimes things get lost in translation here because you're right. You know, if it was as simple, goodness, as building a website and doing a few posts on social media, then, well, yeah, there would be so many success stories out there. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot more to it. I think people understand that, but I, I think sometimes the likes of um, GoDaddy, even Google, Facebook, you know, when they launched Facebook shops and so on, they, they kind of just cover 10% of what it re is required to run a business and sometimes make some very grand claims, but hopefully people can see through that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So, Pascal, shall we move on, and should we talk about some content that's caught our attention this week? Absolutely. So it's the Content Spotlights round next. And it's the Content Spotlight section of the show. This is the part where Pascal and I talk about and we bring to the table effectively a piece of content could be an article could be a podcast could be a video that's caught our attention over the last week and generally neither of us know what the other person is going to bring to the table so pascal tell me what delights have you got for me this week so I've got a, an article written for a platform called TechCrunch. I don't know if you've come across that oh, yeah. brand before. And they have a, a key writer uh, called uh, Frédéric Lardino. I'll pronounce it the French way. 
And now this year, most conferences have been cancelled for obvious reasons, in particular the annual Google conference called Google IO, as well as the Facebook F8 conference. Now, I missed them because usually that was my yearly event to catch up on all the latest news, future releases, and so on that I could use to, of course, inform my customers and, and build some of my training courses. So I've missed, uh, Roger, Google IO this year. It's just not been there where they would give you updates on what they're going to do with YouTube, with Google Maps, with Google Drive, and all those different products. But they've done something recently where they released a video where they interviewed some of the head of product development at Google. It's about half mm. an hour. It's quite slick. It's quite. It's almost got a bit of a documentary feel about it. And we got some some um, in, insight into what they're planning to do. Um, but also, Frederick was kind enough to write a summary, but also embed the video um, on YouTube. So when people click on the on the link on the show notes, be able to access that. And at the heart of the um, the the address, if you will, the, this uh, documentary, they wanted to show what they're doing to make searching more enjoyable and more of an experience so of course they're not talking about us the business owners wishing to be found talking about the searchers but what you can do is extrapolate what we might do as marketers no surprise there roger they're going to be using ai extensively as well as the voice of the searchers and the cameras and the lenses of our mobile phones for that search experience. So let me give you a quick um, list of what they're going to do a bit differently. So to begin with, with video search, they're going to be using AI and speech, speech recognition to be able to actually know where within a particular video clip what you're looking for is uh, established. So we know that we can do chapters, and we are using that technique for two gigs and a marketing podcast. But as you've seen already for a while now, since the summer, if you put a question on Google, it will say to you, well, actually, that answer is at two minutes, 14 seconds on that video using AI and speech recognition. And I think it's going to be a nice compliment to doing the chap chapters as well, which suggests that, you know, once again, can we make sure all of us that when we create videos, they are easily um, you know, it's easy for Google and, of course, for the searchers to segment it and find what they're looking for. So make sure that you have structure in, in your content. The other thing they're going to do, so with Google Lens, you could do a lot already uh, and your um, camera by pointing the camera towards a site to get it translated, to actually point towards the uh, logo of a company to find more information. But now with Google Lens, it can also solve maths, physics, and chemistry formulas and problems and riddles. And I think that's just obviously a bit of gamification for something that's going to be even f uh, move forward for, which is that I'll be able to now point towards text, which is a leading questions, and get some answer from from the web. So once again, are we doing enough with our content? With regard to finding products, you'll be able to long press on images on Google and will give you a list of similar products to, to look for. So we could do a drag and drop up now, but you can do a long press on the phones. And then still with the camera, Roger, you'll be able to point your camera by when you've opened Google Maps towards a building. And if that business is listed on Google Maps, you're going to get information featured almost like an AR layer on top of what you can see via the camera. So once again, make sure all of you that you've got all your Google Map business entries filled in. Other things that are going to be a bit more fun, I suspect um, you can hum a song to your phone now if you've got your Google Assistant, Roger, and it will tell you which song and which artist it is. So you can then, you know, solve that problem when you watch, you know, sometime you watch a TV program and you wonder, what is that song? 
and what is you know the artist well you can just hum it now and um, they're going to do even more in terms of misspelling of names locations and products to, to give you the, the right results they're going to also that's very interesting use other form of ai and neural uh, pro programming to also give you different sources of information um, at the same time so almost like doing a summary of where answers about that question can be found. Now, the one thing about it as a searcher, that's great because I'd be able to be given information from a number of sources and maybe find what I'm looking for. But I think Roger's gonna push the results of web pages further down because we need space for all of that. The one thing, the one good news for all of us marketers is that the robot used by Google are able now to point to a part of the web page, to a sentence deep into your web page, or even to a paragraph that is deep into your site. So the, think of it now as if you have your web page into a different paragraph, each one of those can be indexed separately and therefore drive more traffic to your website. There's more, and for, for that really, I would say watch the video. I think it's an interesting production, video production, it's interesting but also the information that they've shared there wow i mean it, it really makes you realize doesn't it i mean we, we talk about seo quite a bit on this show and seo to me has always been this sort of black art you know i know about keywords and i know that you've got to have certain words appear in your heading and in your description and some you know through the article and whatever but this takes it to a whole new level i mean the number of things that we are being expected to tick now in order to appear in all these different ways that search can find us. You know, going back to the GoDaddy thing before, it just make you wonder, you know, it's not just a question of building that little website with a few nice pictures and a few um, choice paragraphs. You've got to think about your location. You've got to think about all sorts of things. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's worth watching this video just so that you can effectively work out how many boxes you've got to tick. Yeah, and as we mentioned last time we, we talked about SEO, also decide what you're not going to bother with because mm -hmm. time or simply interest uh, is not on your side. So there'll be, there are elements of SEO that frankly do not interest me, Roger, even though I've been a big fan since the early 2000s. And I know where to turn to, who to turn to if I need a bit of help on that. But generally, 90% of what you need to know takes about 10% of your time. Yeah. And what is fascinating, you know, in terms of uh, the world of SEO, there's always, you know, the, the little trick, the little hack that people mention that frankly makes no difference whatsoever. Just stick to the fundamentals. They've been around for nearly 20, 30 years, mm -hmm. and I think you'll do very well. But I think for me, the, the, what would be available for the searchers, I think it's interesting, and you can extrapolate what you might do differently. Yeah, I think it, it's not worth getting anxious about all of this. I, I can see, you know, there'll be all sorts of people, oh, here's a course um, <laughs> on how to to operate all these new bits of, you know, search, like how to get your building to show up on the map and all of that sort of thing. But the bottom line is don't get anxious about it. As you say, the, fun, the fundamentals haven't changed. It's just the, the fluff around the edges. So I hope you've enjoyed this update and all of you do watch the video, but uh, my turn to ask you, what have you got for us this week? Oh, my Pascal, I am so, so excited about right. this. You wouldn't believe this. Now, I have to say that originally what I'm going to talk about now was just going to be the first item in our news list right uh, and then i i sort of looked into it a little bit more and i got ex really excited about it so i then moved it into the marketing tech and apps section 
and, and, then, and then I got even more excited about it. And I thought, you know what? This really does deserve to be a content spotlight. It really does. Now, Spotify, a lot of people use Spotify. Millions and millions and millions of songs, albums, and now podcasts, obviously, on Spotify. I, I've subscribed to Spotify for years and years. Uh, and in fact, I effectively listen to all my music and pretty much all my podcasts on Spotify now. And for the, f- I, I, the, the news item that drew my attention was that Spotify are going to let people use music from Spotify in their podcasts. Now, that might just sound, well, is that what you've been building up to, Roger? That's actually not very exciting. But it is really exciting because one of the things that podcasters haven't been able to do up until now is to include copyrighted music in their podcasts without paying a fortune in performance royalties. So, you know, you couldn't create a podcast which was effectively like a radio show where you play songs and maybe talk about the songs or or, or just like a radio station does, you know, song after song after song with a bit of chat in between. If you tried to do that on a podcast, you would have to pay fairly hefty royalties to the music companies. But now Spotify are letting you do it effectively for free now there is a catch as as you would expect there is you can only publish your podcast on spotify so you wouldn't be able to do a podcast with all this music and put it on um, apple podcasts or stitcher or any of the other podcast uh, platforms but it still gives you this ability to create effectively your own radio channel. Now, I'm a massive music fan. I always have mm. been. Rock music, particularly prog rock, heavy metal, that sort of thing. And and the the I, I'm probably going to do it. You know, it'll be called Rog Prog or Prog Rog <laughs> or something like that. Uh, and and just. Play a song and then talk about why that song inspires me, what I like about it. A bit, a bit like what we do here about marketing. But up until now, it's just been something that none, none of us have been able to do. Uh, the other catch, if it is a catch, is that you have to create the pod, the podcast on the Anchor app. And of course, we know that Anchor was bought by Spotify um, earlier in the year or, or a year or so ago. So it's a really nice bit of synergy there. And I think that quite a lot of music fans will be getting quite excited because you can effectively now launch your own radio channel and call it a podcast. That is incredible news, Roger. Mm. I mean, like, truthfully, mm. I mean, you and I would get excited reasonably easily, as our users and <laughs> listeners will know. But this is uh, pretty exceptional. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Music has always been out of reach because of these ridiculously high performance fees that you would have to, you know. I, I looked into it once because it, I, uh, you know, I genuinely did want to launch a podcast which was, was more like a radio channel. And even the cost of licensing one song... You know, you're talking about hundreds, maybe thousands of pounds. Now, obviously, big radio stations like the BBC, etc., they they can just pay all of this. But for people like us, you know, it would be a significant investment. So this is this is just phenomenal, and I just love the way that one company, Spotify, has bought a, another company, Anchor, which has always been quite innovative when it comes to podcasting, and effectively merged the the uh, two synergies together and created something spectacular. 
I would like to bring this item uh, back in future episodes, um, Roger, if you don't mind, because I think there's going to be some evolution. There's going to be also people who are going to go, who are going to go ahead, as you mentioned, with their own shows. And I'd love to bring that back yeah. as, a, as, a, as an item to discuss, you know, maybe a month, two months or three months later, what is happening with that kind of Spotify anchor, uh, not a merger because they, they, they belong to the same company, but this, this idea of actually, yeah, bringing the best of both platforms. Yeah, and and of course the the possibilities are endless. You know, I would do a show about prog rock. Somebody else would do a show about nineties music. Somebody else would do a show about eighties music. Somebody will do a show about classical music. You know, movie themes, whatever it might be. I've got the, my name all over this oh. one. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just phenomenal. So you can see why this little news item effectively grew in size and just had to become a content spotlight. I think we should probably move on, otherwise I'm going to burst, do you think? <laughs> Let's talk about marketing tech and apps, Pascal. In this section of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table some marketing tech and apps that have caught our attention over the last week. So, Pascal, hit me with your selections. So, Roger, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to continue with Chrome extensions. This is my theme now, uh, and I'm sure eventually I'll move on from that. But uh, And they are both um, kind of choices based on recent experience. So for our viewers and listeners, Roger and I obviously share the work when it comes to the pre-production, production, post-production of Two Geeks and a marketing podcast. Roger will take care of the audio version of the the series because he's been podcasting for a while now. Actually, I couldn't remember. When did you start podcasting, Roger? Do you remember? My marketing and finance podcast was launched in 2014, but I actually did a podcast earlier than that. It was called um, group fitness over coffee, believe it or not. And I actually started that one in 2012. So crikey, eight years. Mm, right. And, and people will know video is my preferred format. So I take on the role of taking care of the YouTube and future channels. And what you can do on YouTube, as some many of you will know, is put a thumbnail image to help you promote, obviously, that particular episode. There is an annoying thing about YouTube, which is that the file size is limited to two megabytes. So like many of you, I'll be using Canva. And this week, I got a file that which was 2.1 megabyte. <laughs> and Roger thought, well, surely. <laughs> and I thought, wrong. So I was reminded of an app which is actually owned and was actually improved upon by Google called Squoosh. So think of it as a squash, but with double O, Squoosh. And what Squoosh would allow you to do was to actually compress a, uh, an image without losing the quality of what it looks like for, obviously, us uh, as uh, visitors of, of the interweb. So what you can do is put an image that is maybe 10 megabytes and by using a bit of a dial, you can you know, reduce it to the two megabytes that YouTube requires. But you'll see that the loss in quality of your JPEG or PNG is actually much, much reduced if you use any other compressors. And the reason why Google invented it, stroke, you know, improved upon it, was because they were getting fed up with people not compressing their images for websites. 
why it's not part of the full Google Suite or Google Workspace, as we mentioned a moment ago, Roger, is, is a mystery. But squoosh.awp is a great addition to you know your, your Chrome bar and Chrome extension. But if you want something uh, uh, that goes beyond that, you know, maybe you want to work on colors, you want to work on contrast, you want to work on sizing and shapes and so on, then I was reminded of something called Pixlr. So this is how I pronounce it, but it is spelled P-I-X-L-R. Uh, com, and then you can obviously have the web version as well as the uh, Chrome extension version. And this allows you to really manipulate your images, but they also have some predetermined templates using AI and actually using, in the early days, feedback from professional photographers. So if you have an image that is okay, it can look truly outstanding by using uh, this feature, Pixlr. So Squoosh for swift and uh, rapid work without losing quality and Pixlr for more advanced form of photo editing. Do you know, Pascal, you really made me laugh when you said that about YouTube thumbnails. Literally every time I publish a video on YouTube, I always upload the photograph and bang, it knocks me back with that error message. And it doesn't matter how many times, I always forget and I always get really grumpy when that message comes up because then I have to take the file, put it into, I actually just use Paint, which is the built-in mm -hmm. um, program within Windows to reduce the size of the file down a little bit. But oh, that Squoosh is going to be one of my best <laughs> best friends going forward. And so, very quickly, I just don't understand the limit, Roger. I mean, even nowadays, you know, a pretty poor, mediocre mobile phone will take an image that is more than two megabytes. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I don't, I, I agree, I don't understand the logic because you know, you could upload a 45-minute, 90-minute video in 4K, which must be hundreds of gigabytes in size, and yet they <laughs> won't right. let you They won't let you put a, a, a small photograph bigger yeah, than two Just in megs. case you break YouTube somehow. Absolutely, absolutely. So shall I tell you about my tech? Yes, please. Okay. What I'm going to do this week is I, I've actually revisited a couple of apps that I've dismissed in the past. And recently, I took another look at a presentation app called Prezi. Have you come across Prezi? Yeah, I've not looked at it for such a long time, Roger. No. Now, you know, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, as you know, I'm not a massive fan of millions of slides when you're doing presentations. Most of my slides that I do use in presentations will tend to be a photograph and maybe one or two words. I've never been a heading bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point type of person. Uh, so I'm not Mr. Death by PowerPoint. And, and Prezi, it was it was just a different take on PowerPoint. You know, instead of slides going from one to a hundred or whatever it might be, Prezi sort of builds them into a web and you can move up to the top you can move down to the bottom you can f zoom in on the center and it looked interesting but I never really saw it as as anything other than a bit of a gimmick to be perfectly honest and maybe it was the fact that I didn't really use slides that much that I just dismissed Prezi but of course recently since the pandemic we're now doing more and more online events and I'm being asked now to talk at more online events again and if you do it over Zoom, one of the problems with PowerPoint is that 
unless you use their sort of green screen thing to superimpose the slides behind you, which can look a bit tacky, you've always got this problem where you've got the slides in one box and then you've got you in another box and you could maybe slide them to make you bigger or the slides bigger. And it just doesn't look very professional. But what Prezi have done is they've created an add-on to their service now. It's called Prezi Video. And literally what it does is it becomes the camera for when you're presenting on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever it is. And it superimposes the slide onto the screen as you're talking. So you could sort of move to the side like this and then your presentation slide would appear in this corner and it moves up and down and this, that and the other and you can make it you can make the, the transitions look quite good. And, and and it just looks really, really professional. And yes, I still don't really like all that zooming in and zooming out, and I probably won't use that. But there's nothing else out there that I can see at the moment which allows you to effectively and very easily superimpose slides over you talking without it just looking rubbish. So Prezi has sort of sucked me in again just because they've offered <laughs> this. Now, maybe Microsoft will come along and do something similar for PowerPoint, but at the moment, I'm pretty impressed with this. The second thing is open broadcaster software, OBS. Now, I think on the, sh on the show before, Pascal, we've talked about things like Restream and StreamYard, which allow you to broadcast yourself on video live to things like Facebook Live, LinkedIn Live, if you're lucky enough to have got LinkedIn Live, of course. <laughs> dig, dig, dig. Um, and, and, and Restream's fine, but it obviously it comes at a cost. And depending upon how often you do it, it, it can be quite a significant cost, especially if you want to do it in HD. And OBS is free software. It's one of those sort of conglomerate type soft uh, collaborative type software that's what I meant where where people work on it and therefore it, it's just free now I tried OBS about a year two years ago and I just thought it was really complicated to use the the interface was clunky I just genuinely didn't understand it and and I watched a few YouTube videos to try and educate myself but I, it, I just found it clunky and I gave up hence why I've used things like restream but there's been an update to OBS recently it's on it's on version 26 now and they've done a lot of work to actually make it user-friendly and I tried it out a couple of weeks ago and I thought you know what this is actually quite easy to use um maybe it's because I've become more uh with using video software over the last 18 months possibly but I, I, I actually quite like it now and obviously because it's free you can still broadcast in HD which you have to pay a premium for usually on things like um, Restream and StreamYard and if you download the OBS you can stream to Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Periscope, Twitch whatever it might be gaming platforms in HD for free so yeah Previously didn't like Prezi, pre previously didn't like OBS, but now they're back in the tin. 
Yeah, well, that's excellent. You know, I'm not surprised about OBS kind of making some improvement because there was a time, I would agree with you, there was almost this um, misplaced pride of being difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. It was almost like you had to pay your dues. It was almost like some rite of passage where you had to <laughs> watch hours and hours on YouTube to understand it. And, and I know that actually once you got, you got past that, it was actually pretty straightforward. But the interface you know, was really, really not, not particularly welcoming. Uh, so I'm glad because I think we need more options, you know, that, that we have currently. And, and from, from what I've heard, OBS is really, really quite powerful. And with Prezi, I suppose I, I've, I very much like you. Um, I took a good look. I really liked what they were doing, but I thought it was really limited in terms of its application. So in the case of a training course, you would not subject people to Prezi for a full day. Uh, but actually for a short address or a briefing session or even keynote, that could be interesting. But again, you know, I, I love the way in which you know they are looking what's happening, and they're thinking, well, you know, we have half the population uh, on Zoom at this moment in time. What can we do to kind of plug things in? I mean, we know that Zoom have plans for the future as well, but uh, I, you know, I think it's great, and we should keep. Um, you're right, and the lesson in this, Roger, is to keep. Uh, our minds open to going back to some platform that we may have dismissed because at the time it wasn't quite right for us. Absolutely right. So I'll be using Prezi in some new presentations soon. So thinking about the past, do you think <laughs> do you think we should go back in time and look at what happened this week in history? I'd love to. And in 1878, Thomas Edison and a group of investors form the Edison Electric Light Company. The goal was to provide financial support for Edison's experiments and work on developing an electrical lighting system for an entire city. In 1936, the BBC begins the world's first regular high-definition TV broadcast service from a specially constructed studio at Alexandra Palace in North London. Ali Pali to its friends. Right, well, two years later, in 1938, Orson Welles broadcasts his radio adaptation of War of the Worlds, causing panic among listeners who believed it was a real news report. To this day, it is one of the most famous radio broadcasts in history. In 1957, the Soviet Union launches Sputnik 2 with space dog Laika aboard, a mostly Siberian husky. This was the first animal in space. In 1977, Atari releases their video computer system, VCS, later known as the Atari 2600. Nine games were available on cartridge, including Adventure, often credited as the first video role-playing game. I think I actually remember that. That's scary. In 1984, Wes Craven's horror film A Nightmare on Elm Street premieres in the US, starting one of the most famous American horror franchises with nine films, a television series, novels and comic books. In 2001, Roger, you, you were around, Microsoft releases the operating system Windows XP, the successor to both Windows 2000 and Windows ME. And in 2007, Google introduces the Android platform, its mobile operating system for cell phones, based on a modified version of the Linux operating system. The first Android-based phone would ship in September of 2008. Wow, Pascal, I need to talk to you about War of the Worlds. Please can do. You, can you just imagine what that must have been like for people who didn't realise that it was actually a play i mean total panic thinking that the earth had been invaded 
to me the you know it shows the power of audio and the sound uh, and yeah. I'm bound to say this, of course, bear in mind what we're doing, you and I. But I think, you know, we must obviously credit Orson Welles in terms of his elocution, his command of the English language, and of course, his storytelling. And that reminds me, you know, of this feeling I had the very first time I saw the film, because again, I was so engrossed. Uh, he could have told me I was watching a documentary, I would have believed it. <laughs> I think as I mean, maybe War of the Worlds, one of the War of the Worlds, should be a feature of the uh, film marketing section of the show at some point. But of course, there was the Orson Welles radio ad- adaptation. There was a there was a Hollywood film made probably around about 1957, maybe, maybe a little bit later, the early 60s, perhaps, with these incredible floating Martians with, with a sort of head on top of it. And, and then, of course, you know, uh, hearkening back to the conversation we had earlier about music, there was Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War of the Worlds, which was an album that was released in the 70s, and that is a cracking piece of music. You know, I still listen to that to it, to this day. So, so yeah, War of the Worlds. Just to think that uh, it, the original book was written in something like 1890 or something like that. Is that right? Um, wow. In- incredible. And how many times it's been adapted in different ways over the years. That's content repurposing, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit. But just quickly, because you mentioned it, um, I mean, a friend of mine had the Atari um, 2600 and yeah. he played that adventure game for hours. If you remember v- vaguely, it was actually not very well uh, crafted compared to what you can do nowadays, where it was just essentially block- square blocks. So your character was a square. You went to, you were in a maze, you know, with different levels. And the further down you went through this dungeon, the more dangerous the creatures, which were symbolized by letters. So, you know, T was a troll and S was a snake and so on. But we, we loved it. And at the time, we began, I think, just to get into role playing games as well. Suddenly, those books, you know, from uh, um, oh, the author escapes me now, but, you know, the books where you are the hero, mm. where you make decisions and, and move on to different chapters. So, yeah, fond memories of the Atari games, particularly Adventure. And updating Windows, goodness me. Windows XP obviously came after Windows 95, which was probably the one before XP. I, whenever, whenever I've updated my computers over the years, the, the, the upgrading to the new Windows operating system for me has always turned into a disaster. Something has always happened, like mm. I've lost entire collections of photographs or this, that and the other. Um, so I have always been a little bit frightened of new versions of Windows. But of course, apparently we're, we're now stuck with Windows 10 forever because they just keep building up on that i wonder whether they'll actually stick to that or whether there will be a windows 11 one day but people were so fond of windows xp they they used it for a long time and indeed that was when unfortunate people got were victim of cyber you know security uh, issues because you know it wasn't a strong system but i think it was probably a system people finally got their head around and they loved using it they were fast moving between files and systems and so on and I think, you know, with each uh, changes, I think for me the worst change was probably moving to what I'm going to call Windows 8, maybe. I could be wrong. Where they try to emulate the interface of mobile phones, if you remember. Yes. And yes. that was just a complete disaster. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. I think it, yeah, XP was very colourful. It was very colourful indeed. Mm. And, and we've got quite a lot of colourful content creators out there, Pascal. <laughs> so I think that it's time that we moved on and we gave some creator shout-outs. 
So, Pascal, tell me who is your creator this week? Go on, give them a shout out. Well, I hope you don't mind, Roger, but I've got three creators to give a shout out to, but I'm not cheating. They are all working <laughs> on the same podcast. So I would like to introduce you to Jenny Field, Trudy Lewis, and Advita Patel, who are the host of the Calm Aged Rebels podcast. And you know, I'm a fan of New Beginnings, and yeah. they launched their podcast recently. I'm going to say no more than a month ago, and I wanted to go and wish them the very best because I know they're going to have a blast. Let me tell you, you know, that um, podcasting is a new kind of content marketing effort for me. I was always the video guy, or at least, you know, the and and uh, I've learned so much thanks to you, Roger, but also I see what happens when you capture conversations. And really, that's what they're doing. Three ladies are consultants specializing in communications and business transformation, and they capture real conversation. And, and the kind of driver behind the podcast was they used to keep in touch with each other, they used to check in, they used to share, you know, the ups and downs of being consultants running your own business and I suppose like you and I they went we should record this one day you know we should record this one day and eventually they made the leap into being a podcast producers so why is it called the calm edged rebels well essentially they each have a bit of a specialism. So Jenny is there to take the chaos out of your organization and change what is happening internally and externally from chaos to calm. So Jenny is there to look after calm. Then you've got Trudy, who is there to essentially give you the edge because she has a framework to help leaders grow, develop themselves and their teams, and of course, you know, make better decisions moving forward. And Advita is the rebel. She's here to make you understand that if you want to change, you have to do something and practice something you've never done before. You have to look for something that is different and be rebellious in your in your kind of view of the world and activities. So the calmedgedrebels.com is, is their website. Now, they want to talk about productivity. They want to talk about leadership. They want to talk about PR, communication. They want to talk about imposter syndrome and mindsets. But also, Advita, being a true rebel, has given their podcast, and I suppose, you know, the team of Jenny Trudy and Advita, a goal of, 20,000 downloads and so you hear that when they do the, the introduction and you can see the nervous laughter of Jenny and Trudy who have said we will eat our hats if we get 20,000 downloads so just for that just for the pleasure of seeing Trudy and, and Judy eating their hats I think we should give them a shout out and wish them the very best sounds good Sounds good. Hats can be very, very tasty if you put salt and pepper on them. My shout out this week, Pascal, is for a gentleman called Ken Smith. And Ken is from Lincoln in Nebraska in the United States. Now, there's an interesting little bit of backstory here. Going back to 1998, I was the only UK speaker at a financial services conference in Atlanta. Um, I think it was the first international conference that I'd ever been a speaker at. And so I flew across the, the pond and, and had a couple of days in Atlanta to adjust to the time difference um, and did this presentation. And uh, uh, without going into too much detail, this presentation involved me bursting a balloon and it was bursting a balloon to make a point. And the balloon was full of talcum powder so they would make a great big sort of smoky uh, flash when it when it exploded and one of the people who was also speaking at this conference was Ken Smith and at the time he was the sales director for a fairly sizable uh, financial services company in the United States and he really loved the 
balloon idea and he asked me after the the conference if he could use the balloon in his presentation going forward in the future and of course i said yes absolutely no problem and that was 1998 pascal and we we've kept in touch over the years uh, and as technology has uh, has uh, developed we've been able to we first kept in touch by email and then we started to have the odd phone call but more recently we've obviously been having zoom calls and skype calls and the reason i'm shouting ken out is because i've noticed recently that he's launched a podcast of his own and it's called coffee is for closers and ken is a sales guy sales director he's he's written a book actually it's called sales lessons from the masters and i just love the fact that he's launched finally launched a podcast I knew it would happen. I knew it would be about sales. I was very drawn to the coffee is for closers headline um, title of the podcast. Funny, isn't it, that I said that the first podcast I launched many years ago was Group Fitness Over Coffee. I believe there is a podcast out there called Marketing Over Coffee as well and Strategy Over Coffee. So coffee tends to be tends to play quite a lot in the titles of some podcasts. So I haven't listened to many episodes of this, but Ken is one of the best sales guys in the world, and he he knows the traditional methods, he knows the modern methods, so there's a lot of really good insight in that podcast, so give it a listen, and as always, we'll include the link to it below here in the show notes. Well, that's two fine selections again. Thank you very much, Roger. And now... It is always the most exciting part of the show because we are about to get into film marketing. So this week we're going to talk about a film which was launched in 2015 and it is called The Martian starring Matt Damon. Pascal, what do you remember about this film? I remember the excitement leading up to the film uh actually introduced myself to the um to the um, imax experience to go and see the martian and then i couldn't wait for the blu-ray to come out i must have seen the film three or four times now and i think for me it's the perfect combination of science fiction adventure survival with some exquisite videography you know by ridley scott this is one of those films and 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 uh I struggle to think of a way to describe this, but there's a certain type of film that sometimes I will relive in dreams. Almost like, (laughs) do you know, do you know what it's like? And they're usually films like this where somebody has to survive. So The Castaway would be another example where there's pretty much only one person in the starring role. Okay, there may be a a few other people, but the film usually focuses on one person. And that person is just basically put through trial after trial after trial until eventually, finally, they manage to succeed in whatever it is they're trying to achieve. And sometimes I will have a dream as if I'm that person in that film, reliving the film in almost like a perpetual loop. And and I almost find myself thinking, how can I make myself wake up so I can break out of this? And The Martian is the last film that I remember seeing which had this effect on me. And and it's just that relentless, you think, oh no, can he, can he not just give him a break for goodness sake? This guy has been through so much, but it's quite claustrophobic, isn't it? The fact that it's mainly focusing on the one person. 
Yes, it's also a way in which, you know, he has to survive for two years, if I'm not mistaken. I mm. should know this, I've seen it too many times. So there's also this sense of dread of time and how long it takes, you know, even when eventually he's rescued and he has to travel quite a distance on the surface of Mars. That takes him days and he has to really uh, be calm and, and hold his nerves and so on. But uh, for the rare few of viewers and listeners who have not seen The Martian, let me remind you that this is a story of Mark Watney, who's an astronaut, who's been left behind after the crew of Ares 3 has to escape from Mars because of a storm that would destroy the, the station and the um, spaceship as well. And it's not just his struggle to survive, it's also their effort to go back to Mars to rescue him. There's almost two stories going on at the same time. And back to your examples, um, you know, Roger, of Castaway and many others, you know, which essentially is his own version of uh, Robinson Crusoe. The Normally, it's only by the survivor. Here we had a parallel story of what's happening on Earth and what's happening in the um, in the spaceship as well. Yeah. I, 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 again, it's just that... that the, the storytelling, we keep coming back to this week after week, don't we? But it's just edge of the seat stuff. You just can't, you can't, you, you, I find myself holding my breath watching this film. No, I think I'll be watching it again after this conversation. So, um, <laughs> I suppose unwittingly and, and with no intention, um, it's a sci-fi movie, but I think because it's taking place in 2000, 2035 with some real, I would say, grounded you know, science with the help of NASA, that's probably why it's also so, uh, you get so involved because this feels very real compared to perhaps other forms of science fiction we just got us on like Alien and many others. So. Um, this was based on a 2011 novel of the same name by Andy Weir. If mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, he himself published a lot of the chapters online to build his career as, as a writer. Uh, it took a while for the film to, to, to get going, but once it got going, they actually incredibly filmed it in 70 days, 7-0, wow. which is incredibly short nowadays, uh, frankly, uh, Roger, and then quickly moved on to you know the premiere. So just as a reminder for all of us, it was premiered in September 2015 uh, in Toronto, then was premiered literally a week or two later in the UK, and then went into the US, which I think is fascinating because the US actually saw it last, you could argue, from a premiere point of view, but because there was so much production uh, involvement from the UK, that's probably how they did it. Where the marketing starts to get really exciting is as follows. So to begin with, how about you organize a screening of the Martian at the International Space Station, Roger? Yeah. How about that? You know, yeah. just to... A small PR coup of sort, <laughs> where you would you know, do that. And, and I'm sure those who were present at the space station had a giggle looking at all the things that perhaps are not exactly correct. Although I'm told by people at NASA that they were very, very pleased with the science and everything that they did. But they also did something that I thought was so, so clever. They did some false uh, video diaries of the crew of Ares 3 on their way to Mars, whilst on Mars, and obviously um, you know, after that the film starts. So you had a lead up you know, from the summer of 2015 to the premiere in September of the actors pretending to be their characters, pretending to be nervous in front of the camera, vlogging, if the term was already in existence in 2015, about you know how they're going to eat, how they're going to keep themselves um, from boredom. And this was not just published online, it was also shared on the personal so social media accounts of astronaut Michael Massimino. 
absolute genius, isn't it? It's, mm. it's, it's building that world around the film. I, I mean, I, I remember the Blair Witch Project a number of years before, where they, before the Blair Witch Project came out, they actually did a documentary, which I think was broadcast on television, which was about the events in the film, as if it was a real thing. And, and I, I, you can't beat that sort of trying to make a film appear so real that it, you know, you you do get sucked into the story before you've even seen it, and you get to know the characters and and you get to care for the characters before you've even seen it, and and doing it like that with the video diaries is, is is just absolute genius, absolute genius, and I bet they had a lot of fun with it as well. Yeah, because of course, like I said, they had to pretend to be nervous, you know, to be like you know real astronauts that suddenly become public figures and with everything that comes comes with it. And I think what you can take pleasure in doing now with the Blu-ray editions and so on is you watch the video diaries, yeah, and then you immerse yourself into the story because of course the diaries stop just before the storm and the incident where they had to leave one behind. Yeah, and of course, a lot of DVDs and Blu-rays, you sometimes think that the extras. Uh, oh well, we've got to f- stick a few deleted scenes on, or we've got to we've got to do a little bit of a documentary. And, and sometimes they're they're pretty lame, aren't they, Pascal? You know, especially mm. the documentaries. You know, we'll just show it. We'll just show the trailer a, a number of times uh, and do a vo- voiceover. Whereas this, you know, the the, the extras these video diaries become an integral part of the experience again so you have got the film but then you've got the the the, the diaries as well so it, it becomes much more than just watching a film it, it becomes much more of an immersive experience yeah and actually on, on that on that point after obviously the film was released and seen they carried on you know researching ways to engage an audience with creating a vr virtual reality series where mm. you could reenact some of the the main scenes of the film using obviously those vr headsets for yourselves and it's only for a minority of of uh, you know people i understand that but to your point though they exhausted pretty much all avenues from a visual stimuli point of view yeah, so what what are the marketing lessons from The Martian then? It's it's to surround your main event with interesting peripheral stuff. I think the two things is try to actually bring in, you know, uh, somebody would have perhaps a greater reach than you do. So in the case of the filmmakers, NASA played a big part in marketing the film. I mean, without them you could have had a premiere I know it's a PR stunt, but what a PR stunt, you know, premiered at the International Space Station. You can have, you know, the astronaut to actually share the the diaries onto his own, you know, social networks and so on. So in preparation for the marketing of your story, see if you can bring somebody in. And the reason why they would say yes for someone that arguably could say has less kudos and less reach is because you're going to ask them to do something different, something they've never done before. And that's something that I learned you know, through my own foray in film production. If you ask somebody to do a favor, essentially, it's because that favor is very unique and novel. So I would say that to me is bring that partner into it. And then, yes, do some pre a content, a pre-event um, kind of uh, experience such as the diaries. 
classic collaboration in other words classic collaboration mm. and, and and again i think the realism that nasa brought to this as you said it, it could almost have been real couldn't it it was so close to current technology whereas we would expect a film like star trek or star wars to be just outrageous you know yeah. true science fiction whereas this was only science fiction to the point that we haven't gone to mars yet but it was believable because the tech was mm. so current very and if i'm just you know just to say to, to people you know do and watch it again or, or watch it for the first time also for the videography I mean, the storytelling is outstanding and i do believe that the blu-ray has the the director's cut which just adds actually more about earth let alone mm. not necessarily mars but the way in which is filmed could be a lesson just in 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 filmography to, to begin with and but also the, the film became a little uh, you know, famous for the famous line, forgive me, repeating that term, that, uh, that Mark, Matt Damon, you know, the, the character played, uh, they played for Mark Watney, I'm going to have to science the shit out of this, was <laughs> the sentence that became like, you know, repeated over and over again in different circles after that. Um, which I thought was not what they, they had in mind. It was just obviously the character that was meant to, to just try and stay positive, but uh, that's something that stayed with uh, an audience for quite some time. Here's the science bit. <laughs> I love that. I love that. No, what I really like about these um, podcasts, Pascal, is I, I often put out a tweet, usually on a Saturday, saying, come on, guys, give me an idea for a film that I can watch tonight. Mm. But most of my Friday night films end up being the ones that we end, we are talking about on this podcast because I get so excited about talking about the film that I think, you know, going to go and watch it again. So as always, we could probably talk about The Martian for the rest of the afternoon but we do have to bring the show to a conclusion so everybody can i just say once again thank you so much for watching or listening to two geeks and a marketing podcast pascal and i are so pleased that you choose to plug us into your earphones or put us in front of your eyeballs Please subscribe to the podcast. Please leave comments. Please leave suggestions in all the places that you consume your video and audio entertainment. Until next time, please go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni. Take care.